0: completely open and say yes to everything, even if it's shocking and painful.
1: you have any questions? I do. Okay, go ahead. What happened to your face? This time tomorrow, what will we know? Will we What's going on? I don't know, I guess the train's lost. What'd he say? He says the train's lost.
0: How can a train be lost? It's on rails. Welcome back to another episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway, where this week we hit the halfway mark in our Wes Anderson coverage with the Darjeeling Limited. Uh, Before I introduce my co host, I want him, I uh, think we should make an agreement. A, I think we should record the best podcast we could possibly record. B, we get deep into the movie, the Darjeeling Limited. And C, we find new things that we never even thought possible about this movie. Can you agree to that?
1: Um, I can agree to that, Stephen.
0: Okay, good. With me, as always, is my co-hosted friend Josh Page.
1: Um, thank you, Stephen. Thank you for another lovely introduction, as always. That was really kind. Really kind words of of you. you. Um, yes, Stephen. We've made it to the halfway mark. We should give ourselves a pat on the back. Um, for any of the folks listening, thank you for sticking with us this long we've made it um wow yeah we've made it holy smokes (laughs) i i can't believe it either it's really something how did we get here (laughs) how did i get here
0: i this whole quarantine year has just you know it's one of those i i guess we're all going through like stockholm syndrome of some sort you know it feels like forever in the moment and then you look back and you're like wait it's already it's already August when?
1: Yeah I mean time is very strange um as we've said off the air um it's uh with cinema kind of being on hold it's kind of like weird uh because you and I live vicariously through cinema you know so it's kind of like without 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 going to the movies and without these new films it's kind of like time in a weird space I'm so used to us having conversations about like oh well here are the movies coming out in the summer and now oh, we well, got these movies coming out starting in the fall and it's like we kind of like have our own little. We've always had our own little schedules, and so it's kind of just in quarantine. It's kind of like everything's frozen, so we're kind of just living in whatever realm we're living that normal people do. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I guess if a Marvel movie doesn't come out, is it still summer?
1: It can't be. <laughs> Can't it can't. Be. It can't be. I mean, I I saw the trailers for for Black Widow and, and New Mutants. And New Mutants, <laughs> which is coming a, out any day now. And I saw a third or fourth trailer or TV. They released the fourth The first two minutes they did. Yeah. So at this point, um, we've made more progress to seeing New Mutants. Uh, than we ever have. So, I mean, I don't know, man. They're teasing me. They're making me feel like it's summer. But apparently it's going to be August next week for our time recording.
0: What boggles my mind more than anything, and I don't mean to bring us down like a new mutants rabbit hole, is now the director, Josh Boone, is talking about how he wants this to be a trilogy. And (laughs) I just... I read that the
1: other day. (laughs)
0: ...don't understand. It took him, what, how many years to get this movie even to...
1: point of possibly coming out we've talked about this i don't know if it's on air or not at this point i don't care we the first trailer came out in early 2017 so this has been on the on the bench for at least three years let's uh, go to darjeeling limited folks
0: let's get Uh, back to the darjeeling limited
1: how about that train
0: (laughs) (laughs) how about that train let's ride that train so josh tell me what was the first time you saw this movie
1: Well, I'll keep the themes going Uh, during my college years of discovering Wes Anderson as a person. uh, I went back to watch his films chronologically and um, after uh, Life Aquatic, I stumbled upon uh, Darjeeling Limited. Well, that
0: would make sense because that was his next movie.
1: Yes, so I watched it and uh, it was a period of my life. (laughs) where I was younger and experiencing West Anderson for the first time.
0: I, uh, this is quite the exciting story, Josh. I can't wait for the movie about how you saw I, this movie.
1: I am very excited for the biopic of me sitting there with my giant headphones. Uh, I have no real memory beyond that, but I know I was in college, and it was wonderful.
0: But yeah. please,
1: please tell me how... Uh, tell me my, how This was, is this was new,
0: new for you, right? I was about to say, my first experience with this movie came last week when i watched it for the first time wow was uh i don't mean to jump on uh my final thoughts too no, much don't. here so i'm not getting into how i felt about the movie yeah, i'm just don't. going to say that watching this movie kind of reminded me of when we watched uh insomnia for christopher nolan I'm so simply because they both feel like the lost children of the respective directors.
1: I was going to save those exact words for my final thoughts, but let's save those for the final thoughts. But yes, please continue.
0: No, that's about it. I watched it, and here we are.
1: <laughs> here we are. Incredible. These are incredible backstories that we have.
0: This is as as incredible as it gets.
1: This is, I mean. a, this is raw and deep and real right now. We're in the thick of it.
0: But, uh, so then, since neither one of us has too exciting of a story, why don't we jump into the... Actually, instead of going into production and pre-production of this movie, let's first talk about uh, Hotel Xavier. Xavier, Xavier. Please,
1: take it away. The short uh, film that I did not see. Yes.
0: Uh, Josh just said it. He didn't see it, but I watched it. It's the It's technically a prequel to the Darjeeling Limited, uh it is a i have no notes about it so i'm not giving a formal breakdown of this movie by any means it's but essentially it's about uh jason schwartzman's character in paris before he leaves for india and how his ex-girlfriend natalie portman comes to visit him
1: oh okay
0: it's about the night that he's talking about in the movie in the movie he says we spent 24 hours together this is the 24 hours they spent together oh
1: that's interesting
0: and what was fascinating about it more than anything uh, because obviously it's Wes Anderson it's incredible it's well shot it's all that stuff but what was so astounding was just Natalie Portman in it because one you could tell this was right after she did V for Vendetta because she still had the she was growing her hair back her hair was shorter than mine is currently not that anyone can see me right now but
1: (laughs) let the record show it's short but getting longer there you go
0: her hair was like it was it was right after v for vendetta so her hair wasn't fully grown and she doesn't get completely naked in the movie but it's something that i was shocked for her it reminded me of the snl skit that she did you know where the she rap. like the rap that she did where with she like
1: with the lonely island yeah 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 yeah,
0: where she has to like reassert how much of a badass she is yeah yeah, yeah. this made me just like remember how much of a badass she was pre i guess yeah pre pre thor yeah pre thor Natalie like,
1: portman's one of my favorite actresses uh, just in general she's just incredible so
0: she to me is very hit or miss sometimes i think that she's an incredible actress when she cares about the project she's in
1: oh absolutely i mean the differences between beautiful vendetta and jackie are versus something like um thor or um uh, say it. just say it star no, no. wars oh i wasn't gonna say star so. How much are we going to say? I'll say like, that silly that silly rom-com she was in with Ashton Kutcher. Uh, oh remember all, all those sex movies came out at the same time? Yeah, I don't um, remember. One of them was friends. Mila
0: Kunis and the wait, other wait, I, don't, I don't remember which one was it's which.
1: either friends with benefits or no... It's no strings attached. I can see the poster in my mind. She's buttoning up her shirt. Yeah. Um, so there's a difference when Natalie Bortman cares and doesn't care. Um, although I will say she... I feel like she half cares in the star wars prequels but i want to save all that for a, a star wars talk
0: i don't necessarily blame her entirely for no, no, no. her performance but there's again like you said we'll save giving
1: it. it yeah there's times she's giving it her all and times are she's phoning it in and that's we'll save it all
0: yeah we'll we'll, we'll save it we'll save it but it, no, as far as this uh short film goes they thing
1: about her getting naked and getting and being badass
0: yeah she she was just a badass, willing to bear it all for the short film for Wes Anderson.
1: Literally and bearing it all. You see it all.
0: You, Wes Anderson, you know, is the master of framing. Oh,
1: I need details, son. These are the. These She's are the,
0: like Wes Anderson is the master of being able to frame a shot. So like, you know, you don't actually see her nipple,
1: but you see side boob and you see side ass. And you didn't tell me this when you were telling me to watch the film. I
0: watched it earlier today. Before. <laughs> before
1: oh, I the thought, Oh, I, th- I thought you watched it last week no
0: no i watched oh. it today because i you know we weren't taking notes on it i figured fuck okay, it i'll just uh talk i thought we were just going to talk about like it generally
1: i didn't well now now you brought, you brought new territory into this this is the whole subject has changed so yeah. and if we start talking about natalie portman then i'm just i'm not i'm not gonna do that right now it's just i gonna get off tangent
0: <laughs> so uh i highly recommend it is uh my Good. point Good. 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 It, yeah, especially if you really like Darjeeling, it's a great little prequel. And from what I heard, uh, Jason Schwartzman, Natalie Portman, and Wes Anderson and the, his little crew literally spent two weeks in Paris just chilling and filming this. And it's like, fuck you guys! Like, must be nice. Must be nice.
1: Must be nice.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Natalie Portman. I did like a breakdown of her career for I think GQ. I think it Mm -hmm. was. And she talked about this short and she's like, yeah, they flew me out to Paris for two weeks. It was a nice little vacation. I'm
1: like, you fucking like get out of here. Oh man. Get the hell out of here with your vacations.
0: It's all I ever wanted. Oh, but please now no more vacations ever. We're not allowed to go to Europe. No,
1: no, especially if your temperature is too high.
0: Not ever. Not even if there's a fire,
1: not even if there's a fire,
0: (laughs) So, oh, uh, you ready to get into Darjeeling itself?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, uh, budget of seventeen point five million and box office of thirty-five. The first time in a couple movies that Wes had a you know, success at the box office. I guess, relatively he, speaking, it made I its guess, money back.
1: I guess if he aimed low enough financially, he would be guaranteed to make uh some of his money back yeah my guess
0: and i don't know this for a fact is that he was kind of over the big movie thing after uh life aquatic because that movie from what i heard blew up uh budget wise and concept wise while filming
1: um i i'll I'll save well i don't even know if i'll get to this This the final thoughts i'll say i want to save like a deep dive on on my thoughts on it but I feel like this movie represents his roots in terms of like staying indie and small and very um, true to what he in Bottle Rocket. Like, not in the sense that like this is it feels like a low budget movie, but Wes Anderson's always felt like he stays very limited, even in like something like as grand as Grand Budapest. He's Sorry. like,
0: it's limited, the Darjeeling limited
1: oh yeah oh pun intended oh shit, this is good okay cool so like (laughs) as limited oh my god i can't believe i didn't realize that um thank you thank you for that um the uh he's kind of like i don't know to me this represents this middle chapter of his career where he's like let me just take it back and just show you a story about three characters and a couple of them. And yeah. it's really like he's not trying to do anything more than tell one linear story.
0: No, uh, it's it's a very intimate movie.
1: Yeah, it's very personal. And that's why I want to save the feelings on that for later. But,
0: but uh, we could talk about the intimacy of this movie because the writers of it were Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, and uh, Jason Schwartzman. And... <sighs> Well, Jason Schwartzman and Roman Coppola are cousins cuz let's not forget Schwartzman is a Coppola.
1: It's all part of the um the Coppola uh Anderson uh family indie circle. Family tree. <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh prior they had written like part of the script together uh in different cities and then decided to finalize the script they were going to actually take a train ride in India. So they literally went to India and did what the characters essentially did.
1: Well, I don't know if you have your notes there, but like the, I I know that I have here said the train scenes the train scenes were filmed inside an actual moving train. Oh, I was getting to that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, cuz I was going to say, but uh, No,
0: I was places. just uh talking about the script right now.
1: Oh, um, I think you're talking about the actual filming. Okay.
0: No, they uh they literally took like the three writers of the movie literally went to India and took a train ride in, like, just to get everything out. Wes Anderson said he felt like he was living the screenplay so that they can finalize it.
1: Uh, That makes sense. But
0: now we can talk about the actual uh, filming, if you would like. They shot mostly in northern India. Uh, We were saying that it was very intimate. Like you said, they literally shot this on a train. Yeah. An actual train that they built. Um, uh, which meant that it was a very, very tight set. There yeah. Were no nothing, trailers.
1: Nothing could the be. Actors to had to ceiling. do their own makeup. Um, filming equipment couldn't be more than a meter out of the windows.
0: Yeah. It's. Uh, um, but the train also had extreme detail put into it. Like the artistry in it is astounding. Um, um the exterior was painted by a, a famous a painter in india and apparently he was given panels about from like the future of the film so like on the like through the train if you look at the it closely enough you'll actually see foreshadowing in the train it kind of is like midsummer where like the opening painting tells you the whole story if you were to look at the actual train it would tell you the whole story yeah on the painting is the monastery it's the village that they go to the market children playing cricket, the train station that the characters get kicked off at, you know, it's like all these little oh, things on it. it. There were also hand-painted elephants, like literally 500 hand-painted elephants were put throughout the set. That gives it a lot of character. It does. The, even the shoe box, like that the snake was in that skull and cross was painted. It's crazy. Um, apparently the dining car, everything in there was handmade too. the chairs, the hand block painted fabric uh, tablecloths like the tablecloths were handmade even the plates the paintings on the plates were handmade
1: see those little details go such a long (laughs) way because it doesn't feel cheap it doesn't feel like it was store-bought or it's from a set like it feels authentic um one of the the huge things that will run congruent throughout this entire movie as we talk about it is how authentic everything would be because they literally shot it in India. They literally shot it in a train. They literally shot it with hand painted and handcrafted sets. Like it's so like it's intimate because of the story itself, of course, but it's intimate because it's the, because of the work that was put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels almost like a student film in a good way. Like I know people use like, oh, it feels like a student film in a bad way, but in a way where it's almost like, and this goes back to what I was saying about Wes putting, like going, harking back to his indie nature is just putting the heart and soul into just what the story is, not needing a giant budget, not needing um, a huge, just needing to, to, to focus on the structure of the story and the set and the characters. And it's just funny because <laughs> again, the movie's limited. It's only limited to his resources. So it's, it's just, it's so it's almost like meta to me talking about it now and how limited everything is. And yet yeah, it's so personal in that way because of how well-crafted every detail is.
0: Yeah. You want to talk about limiting here. Uh, <laughs> what's it called? Filming. Because again, they shot it on a train. It was very difficult. They were limited for space. Yeah. So like their bedroom, the walls had to become like, they had to be movable because you have to get the camera in and out the sink that they had in the bedroom was on wheels. Uh, It wasn't like actually bolted down the light, like the ceiling had lighting panels that you could pop in and out because you just, that's the only way to do it. So cool. Uh, The hallway, they had to like invent a new way to dolly. They hung the camera from the ceiling rather than having someone hold it because it was too tight of quarters and because yeah. they were rocking the boat here
1: it had to become creative very quickly i imagine they had to just like cre- invent new ways to film because um, i can i can just imagine how easy it would have been for any casual filmmaker to be like all right well they're supposed to be on a train let's get a set and let's just shoot it in a in a studio and we can make it look like they're on a train but part of the intimacy of this movie is you literally feel like you're on the train with them you really just you every shot you just feel it
0: what's funny though is like yes they shot it on a train but there is some inauthenticity here uh the only note i have of that is like the train wasn't always in motion because you got to conserve fuel and coal and all that no of that course stuff. of course So there are some moments where people were like literally hired to put a beam under the train cars and jump up and down to push it. So it it looks like the train is moving. moving.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. I didn't know that. Which is
0: nuts. Uh,
1: Talk about dedication. The,
0: uh, I have only two more notes. Uh, this was a Fox Searchlight film. This was the first of Wes Anderson's movies to be there. He left Disney, but ironically, he's back at Disney now.
1: Yeah, I know. I was going to say, this is the first of his non... Because I don't know what the studios were. I don't know if they were all independent. Before. Auto
0: Rocket was uh, independent, but after that, they were all Touchstone, which yeah, was right. Disney. And then... I guess Disney kind of got pissed because they weren't getting their money back on his movies.
1: I'm having deja so, vu. What other movie do we discuss with Touchstone?
0: Uh, Rushmore. Uh, oh, you, no. Uh, you're talking about Nolan
1: movies? I think so. Was it Insomnia?
0: I think it was Insomnia.
1: Which is ironic because this is, as you said, this, this is the Insomnia of the Wes Anderson
0: yeah, but this is a Fox searchlight which again now is technically owned by Disney. So Disney oh, owns yeah. all of Wes Anderson's movies except for The Bottle Rocket.
1: Just, yeah, I don't know. I can't I can't bleed those two worlds together, man. I can't. I can only do so much, but hey, Disney's also the Pac-Man of uh movie studios and they're going to own everything. They'll own us one day, you know. Yeah.
0: Um uh, my final note uh is just that Jason Schwartzman did not wear shoes during the entire filming of this
1: even when his feet are not visible, did he wear shoes? <laughs> he never We're wore shoes, shoes once. Um, Which is
0: really gross to me.
1: That's some serious dedication. But you know what? He's a, he's his own little character actor. This is also the first time we've seen Schwartzman since Rushmore, uh, Rushmore right? All right, that's cool. Um, another actor note I have is, uh, in order to achieve a constant limp while filming, Owen Wilson placed a small lime in his shoe. Amazing. I um,
0: mean, we could I have one more note, but I don't know if we want to talk about it. It's just uh this movie was around the same time that Owen Wilson attempted suicide. And that, that he cuts was
1: deep for the subject matter of the movie.
0: Yeah, it does. And he was pulled off of the press junket for the whole movie because he needed to take care of himself, which is the right call. Yeah. You
1: know? Um that to me actually because I knew that he had that that was a part of a dark part of his past, but I didn't realize that was around this time, which makes, again, it makes the subject matter of the movie a lot more personal. Um,
0: I miss Owen Wilson, but like, (laughs) I I really hope he has a bigger part in the French dispatch than uh, he did in like Grand Budapest Hotel. You know, he hasn't had a big part in a Wes Anderson movie in a while. Since no. maybe Darjeeling, actually.
1: Which is interesting because they've they started out writing the scripts together. Yeah,
0: but he's been in all of the movies. Well, right, of course, but he was
1: very heavily involved. What I mean is like, he was so heavily involved in Wes Anderson's creative process. So I, I would like you. I like to come back. Um, as far as the characters go, one final note before we begin. The three brothers are apparently named after Francis Ford Coppola, Peter Bogdanovich, and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Right, <laughs> Francis, Peter, and Jack. Um,
0: well, Francis makes sense because there are two Coppolas who wrote this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And then I don't know where Jack Nicholson comes from. Like I don't,
1: whatever. <laughs> Good for them. But uh, I guess yeah.
0: Jason Schwartzman just looks like Jack Nicholson.
1: <laughs> in his own way. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm I'm ready to dive in this thing when you will. We got to catch this train. The film opens in a neo-noir style. The businessman, Bill Murray, is in a high-speed cab. Zooming through the streets of India, the cab stops in front of a train station. As the businessman makes it to the platform, the train is leaving the station. The chasing continues, but shifts vantage point. Focus switches to Peter Whitman, Adrian Brody. Peter, unlike the businessman, makes it onto the train.
0: It's kind of weird. I mean, coming off of Life Aquatic, it's just funny seeing how small of a part Bill Murray has in this movie.
1: Yeah. Like,
0: he has maybe two lines of dialogue, just yelling at a cab driver.
1: Yeah. It's very interesting. I don't think this is the shot where Adrian Brody's running after the train in slow motion. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like so, the shot of
0: I mean, I don't know what happened. Like, I, Adrian Brody's career never really took off the way that I think he thought and most people thought
1: um i think he's always been critically acclaimed in his own way i mean we' certainly with the pianist and movies like that um yeah. which was are you ang the p the pianist
0: the penis yeah
1: the pianist? how dare you talk about the big penis that yeah, i way? shouldn't
0: make fun of that movie that is a good movie but you know it's also roman polanski so it's like uh... oh
1: so you're choosing to blur the film itself because of
0: no, I'm saying that I shouldn't make jokes given the subject matter of the material.
1: Oh, because um, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm one to look at the art, not the artist, but then I go like, yeah, but the artist is still like an asshole. They're still a terrible person. Peter makes it through the tight quarters of the train to a door. Inside, he finds his brother, Jack, Jason Schwartzman, sleeping. Peter sits opposite his brother, rubs his head, and takes medication. Francis, Owen Wilson, with extensive bandages on his face, enters the room holding a tray. The brothers exchange cold pleasantries. They light up cigarettes. The chief steward enters the room to collect the brothers' tickets. After he does so, he points to the no smoking sign. In quick recession, Rita, Amara Karan, comes into the room to offer sweet lime. As the brothers take the drink, red dots are put on their foreheads. The moment Rita leaves, Francis turns to his brothers saying, let's go get a drink and have a cigarette. As they make their way to the restaurant car of the train, Francis gives his mission statement to the trip they are all on. Let's make an agreement. okay A, I want us to become brothers again, like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that?
0: Okay. Yeah. B, I want us to make this trip a spiritual journey where each of us seek the unknown and we learn about it. Can we agree to that? Sure. I guess so. C, I want us to be completely open and say yes to everything, even if it's shocking and painful can
1: agree to that. Francis further explains that the trip has more or less been entirely planned out. Every morning Francis's assistant Brendan will provide an itinerary of spiritual places and temples they need to see. Francis then finishes up by asking if his brothers have any questions. Peter interjects asking what happened to his face.
0: It's a good question. Francis tells his brothers he does not remember what happened, which we find out later to be a lie. Well, In reality, he tells him he lost control of the motorcycle. So what he told him was true from a certain point of view. Correct. But at this moment, all he remembers is that joggers found him technically dead after an accident. After being brought back to life, Francis claims the, quote, first thing I thought when I woke up was I wish Peter and Jack were here. The scene continues to reinforce how strained the whole family's relationship is, as none of them have spoken to each other in a year, or since their father's funeral, nor have they spoken to their mother. Francis doesn't even know when the last time Jack was in America, yet he insists he does not care for Jack's ex-girlfriend, Natalie Portman, which is funny, you know, he's like, when was the last time you were in America? I don't, yeah, I, don't yeah. I don't care for your girl. I don't care for your ex-girlfriend. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like what do you even know? You don't even know me.
1: It's incredibly petty.
0: The only thing the brothers seem to share is their love for for painkillers. Respect.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: sometimes you got to do what you got to do.
1: Got to do what you got to do.
0: Jack then takes out a short story he wrote, which Peter takes to read. Francis then orders everyone's dinner much to Peter's dismay. Francis then notices that Peter is wearing their father's old glasses, which, has, which still has the prescription, which I don't understand. That would hurt your fucking eyes, wouldn't it? Like, you're yeah. wearing some other person's prescription? Maybe <laughs> that's why he always has a headache.
1: That would make sense.
0: With the conversation continuously shifting, Francis asks how Alice, Peter's wife, is. Peter says she is good, making a lot of money selling small clay pots. Jack, meanwhile, is looking at Rita, exclaiming that he wants her, which very bold. Like, li- <laughs> I think the quote is literally, "I want her."
1: <laughs> yeah, right out of the floodgates.
0: Francis, seeing Brandon, goes over to him and uh, goes over to him to see if he found a power adapter. With Francis gone, Peter tells Jack that Alice is seven and a half months pregnant. Time has passed as it is dark outside, and all other passengers have vacated the restaurant. Peter puts down Jack's short story. He says he did not like the part where he was screaming at the mechanic. Jack interjects, saying that all the characters are fictional. Peter then goes into the bathroom. Holding the short story, he begins to cry.
1: Back in the room, Francis is telling his brothers which beds to sleep on. The itineraries slide through the door. The brothers meet Brendan, Wallace Waladarski. Francis talks to Brendan privately in the hall about the surprise he is planning. While we are not made privy to the plan at this moment, Francis is emphatic that it happens, telling Brendan to call every 10 minutes until he makes contact. Also, no power adapter could be found. While Francis is in the hall, Jack and Peter discuss their reluctance to be on this trip. Jack even bought an early ticket back to Italy. Francis re-enters, noticing that Peter has their father's car keys. Jack smokes out the train window, He's Rita doing the same. Still infatuated with Rita, Jack rings the bell to get some savory snacks. Rita and Jack then meet in the bathroom. With a hard cut, they begin to bang. Yeah, that
0: happened real fast.
1: <laughs> like, real fast. It always, Yep, it, it often does. It truly was a hard cut. It was <laughs> <laughs> the cut was erect. While Jack and Peter tells Francis that Jack has a return ticket to Italy. Pissed, Francis goes into Jack's bag and steals the plane ticket and passport. Jack re the room and lays next to Francis. Peter's head dips down from the top bunk. They ask if Jack just banged Rita.
0: I love the framing of that, too. Like, yeah, it's good. Peter's head literally comes down from the top bunk and is, like, snooping uh, down on his back. And they know,
1: yeah, they know exactly what's, what's happening.
0: Well, that's what makes the dip down so funny. He's like, did you just fuck Sweet Tea? Because I think that's <laughs> what they called her. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's very it's it's classic uh, Wes Anderson comedy. At the at a train station, Francis and Peter watch Jack checking his ex girlfriend's answering machine. When he comes back into the room, Jack insists, "I don't feel good about myself." Francis, trying his hardest to save the trip, says, "Let's make another. Ing- <laughs> On the spiritual journey, it's crucial that we don't splinter into factions, or not include somebody who has advice or may know better. Can we agree to that? Okay." Jack then takes out his ex-girlfriend's perfume bottle from his bag. She put it there when they met up in France for 24 hours. Reference to the uh, the short film.
0: Yeah, you see that in the short film.
1: That's great. Francis then wants to make another agreement. From now on, if you want to talk to her or check messages, you speak to us first, day or night, anytime. Can you agree to that? Jack agrees and smashes the perfume bottle. <laughs> Rough stuff. <Yeah>. Which... uh. <laughs>
0: you know he smashes a glass bottle and you're not wearing shoes you crazy
1: yeah that's really wild
0: that's crazy man that's literally you're stepping in you're stepping on glass and then chemicals that will go in your open wound. that's just not a good idea but hey i'm a hypochondriac yeah <laughs> the next day the train has stopped and the brothers make their way to the market francis is still looking for a power adapter peter buys shoes and a snake Jack buys pepper spray. They also go to a temple. While praying, Francis notices uh, Peter stole his belt. Jack begins to panic as he notices his passport is gone. Francis tells Jack that he has his passport. Peter, not wanting to be implicated, backs away. At which point, Jack tells Francis that Alice is going to have a baby. This was, to me, was like, very brotherly, you know, like... Peter backed away and Jack immediately knows what that means. It means that Jack, Peter told uh, Francis about the plane ticket.
1: Absolutely. Just because he uh, had
0: to walk away. And then he tells him immediately that he's going to have a child. Uh, Peter's about to have a child because it's just, it's you told my secret. I'm telling your secret.
1: Yeah. It's great use of direction in terms of um, the classic showing, not telling. Yeah. It's like the fact that you can read their body language and you know that they know that there's something going on that's not being said is very well directed. Yeah.
0: Peter not wanting to be implicated backs away. At which point Jack tells Francis that Alice is going to have a baby. Back on the street, Francis's $3000 loafer is stolen. <laughs> which $3000? Are you crazy for shoe? Rough
1: stuff for that loafer.
0: Uh but the conversation quickly shifts to peter having a child francis wants to know what they're not why they're not celebrating i don't get it by the way why aren't we celebrating so i don't want to talk
1: about it why not i guess because i always expected eventually i'll get divorced so having children really wasn't part of my
0: plan okay but you're never going to do better than Alice. and what's the point well, of getting expect married to get
1: divorced, divorced. I don't know. I love Alice. Maybe it relates to how we were raised.
0: Which, brutal stuff. Yeah. <laughs> on the cab ride back to the train, Francis reads Jack's short story. Francis loves it, saying that he remembers everything. Jack once again reminds Francis it is fiction. Which, it's <laughs> not. But, right. back on the train, Francis stops off in Brendan's room slash office to pick up peacock feathers, for a ceremony he wants to perform. Brandon says that she, the brother's mother, received his message, but has not gotten a response. Francis wants Brandon to keep trying. On the way back to the room, Francis gives Peter his belt as a birthday gift from himself and Jack. There's a knock on the bedroom door. It is Rita offering the sleeping brother some tea. As they wake up, Jack plays music off his iPod. Rita sits down next to him and simply says, I got to get off this train. Mumbling comes from Peter's bed. The snake has escaped. The chief steward comes into the room to mitigate the snake problem. He simply grabs the snake with the spatula, which was badass. That's that's I love that. The chief steward then tells the brothers they're being kicked off at the
1: next station. Rough stuff.
0: I don't know. Seems fair to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I can't blame them for throwing them off the train.
0: No, I can't. I mean, I could, but I won't, because they literally <laughs> stunk up the whole fucking room. They're smoking cigarettes the whole time, even though they're being told not to. They're breaking glass, and they're causing a ruckus. Get out of here. Get they brought a fucking snake on here? Are you crazy?
1: <laughs> that thing looked poisonous. A lot of people drug a at snake. Um, seemingly, the next morning, the brothers are awoken by a noise from the outside. They get off the train to see what is going on. The train made a wrong turn during the night and is now lost. (laughs) With the opportunity in the desert, Francis tells his brothers to meet him on top of the sand hill. They all hands and Francis tells his brothers, I hired a private detective to track down mom. She's living in a, a convent in the foothills of the Himalayas. We'll be there in six days. This stop was on the itinerary as TBD as their mother hasn't given confirmation
0: which was hilarious. Yeah. I just want to say this whole scene was like pretty fucking funny, starting with the train being lost. Um, Even Jason Schwartzman's quote was like, uh, What'd he say? He says the train's lost. How can a train be lost? It's on rails.
1: Yeah. It's very, um, I don't know. Uh, Wes, uh, Wes has a co- a very comical way of doing his, his humor. Sometimes it's very direct. It's kind of like, there's nothing else to it but what you're seeing. There's no other context. It's just, hey, here's the situation, and here's how the characters are reacting to it. And it's just very funny in that way. It's
0: deadpan, po- it's pointing out absurdity through deadpan.
1: Absolutely, that's absolutely what I was just trying to describe. Cause it's like, we know the situation and they, we know that they're gonna react to it a certain way, but it's also that very quiet, serious kind of delivery that they all have. Um, Peter and Jack are shocked and pissed. The train whistle blows and they load on board. Everything reaches a boiling point when the brothers are back in their room. Francis confronts Peter on his stealing their father's belongings. He also calls Peter out for leaving Alice as while well. she is pregnant. Jack wants his passport back. Peter then throws the belt in Francis' face. They then proceed to fight. To stop the fighting, Jack maces his brothers in the face. To escape, Jack runs and crashes into a glass door.
0: I- the fight is also hilarious, just the, yeah. the comments that are thrown back. You don't love me! Yes, I do! I love you too, but I'm going to mace you in the face!
1: It's it's very passive-aggressive.
0: Well, if you're fist-fighting, like fist is that passive-aggressive?
1: It's mostly aggressive at that point, but the, the comments are just like, all of a sudden all these feelings are coming out, you know? And so it's, um, it's yeah. very comical in that sense.
0: Well, now they broke a glass door, so they're out. They're off. True to his word, the chief steward kicked the brothers off at the next train station. Brendan tries to calm Francis down, but Francis insults him. (laughs) Because making fun of his alopecia, (laughs) which is not a good idea. Fed up, Brendan gets back on the train, or as Peter says, Brendan quit. Before leaving, Brendan hands Francis a power adapter and a letter from their mother. Meanwhile, Jack walks over to Rita's window to say goodbye. She, for some reason, is crying. As the train departs, the brothers throw rocks at it. Which, again, I I don't know why Rita was crying. Um, Did she like Jason Schwartzman that much? Like, Is she just... (laughs)
1: Hung up on those American boys.
0: Maybe... um, The only thing I can come up with is that Jack represented a possibility at A New Life
1: for her. Yeah, I mean, there's not enough backstory peppered in there that well, that's why I'm
0: saying over. I don't understand. Like, she wants to get off the train, and maybe she thought Jack was her way off the train. But
1: uh, was it because
0: she cared about Jack, or was yeah, it? Yeah, just... I, I don't
1: know if it's a comical like use of someone being, you know, head over heels for someone else was leaving them because that's been, you know, it's been done so many times. Um, but there's not enough there to go off of. So,
0: yeah, that's um, what I'm saying. It it just seemed off to me. Yeah. They read the letter from their mother. She says that now is not a good time to visit as a tiger is loose in the village. As it, as it is the dead of night and they have nowhere to go, the brothers set up camp. They get high on painkillers and try to perform the ceremony with the peacock feathers. But only Francis did the ceremony correctly. Peter still has his, his feather. Grasping for straws, Francis starts, let's make another agreement. We'll come back here in the spring when... He is interrupted by Peter, who insists they're never coming back. (laughs) Which I wouldn't want to go back either, after all that shit. Right. (laughs) After everything they've been through. The next morning, the brothers are following a canal. They stumble across three children who are on a raft, trying to bring supplies across. The raft snaps, and the children hold on for dear life. The brothers snap into action, jumping into the canal. Jack and Francis quickly save two children, Peter trying to untangle the third. The raft snaps off the rope completely. Peter emerges downstream with blood on his face. He is carrying the child who has died. Which, I know we touch on it sometimes. Like, Wes Anderson's stuff is very funny, but it can also be extremely dark. This is probably the darkest it's ever been. He literally, like, a child literally died in this movie.
1: Um, Like I had said when we were talking about... Royal oh, oh, Yeah, no, last week, Owen Wilson's character. in oh, yeah, yeah. Um uh, Ned? Yep. We were talking about the idea of Western... Because I was saying, I think every film moving forward, he has at least one dramatic death in all of his movies, even if it's just a short moment. And this is one of those moments where it's just like he is almost, he almost uses these kind of moments as reminders that, hey, this is a funny, I'm not sure these characters are on or whatever they're doing, but like, it's still the real world and like people die, you know? Um, but this to me, this death, ha, this I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want to
0: say it works better than the Life Aquatic because I don't it's, want to say that a child's death works. No, it's, it's, it's life- The Aquatic implications a... work better from this death than they do in Life Aquatic. Where in Life Aquatic, Ned's death felt out of left field. This is out Mm -hmm. of left field too, but it carries implications and Like the brothers are able to rebuild their relationship based off of watching this child die.
1: Right, so part of this movie, and I'll save it for final, but part of this movie's, uh, part of what makes this movie work so well is that the brothers bond through this experience that none of them really had this intention of going in terms of the story taking like such a beeline, like say like like going Would off what you
0: say, going off the rails.
1: Going off the rails, if you will. And so this is just one of those moments that like, yeah, it's super serious for a moment, but it's also just a reminder that this is about bonding through their their own experience and their own perception. Um, unfortunately it just comes at the expense of
0: a the death of a death, child, man.
1: which like you said, is probably some of the darkest stuff that Wes has touched upon
0: i think this is arguably the darkest thing he's ever done yeah like, i mean we had, that, we that death about, i mean
1: right because we had talked about how in tenenbaums when um luke wilson attempts to does a suicide attempt in that Wreckham for a dream kind of way how that was like at that point that was the darkest he had gotten but this is kind of like another level because you know he the kid, so
0: yeah the children walk the brothers to their village Peter is in shock, still carrying the dead child. The father, Irfan Khan, who, R.I.P., he R. P., man. just died this year. Uh, the father takes his child from Peter and begins to clean his corpse. The villagers wave the brothers into a house. Sometime later, the brothers load onto a bus, but quickly get off as they are invited to the child's funeral.
1: Flashback to the day the Whitman family fell apart. It is the day of his funeral. The brothers are in a limo on their way to the funeral. Alice Camilla Rutherford tells the brothers that they're all grief-stricken. Before going to the church, wants to make a detour to the Luftwaffe automobile. Which is
0: also the name of Jack's short story, the Luftwaffe (laughs) automobile.
1: Oh, that's cool. Uh, To pick up their father's car. When they arrive, the brothers... I just want to say,
0: that's why we know it's not fiction like it's literally named after the mechanic shop yeah that their father's car was at and had the cat his brothers in it so like he may have changed the names but it was not fiction
1: no absolutely not Um, when they arrive the brothers take over the shop busting into the mechanic shop asking for the car the mechanic tells them that the car is not ready yet though he has had it for three months Peter goes into the office, finds the keys to the car, but the battery is dead and the car will not start. Jack is going through the suitcase in the trunk. Francis gets a phone call from Alice. She says that the funeral starts in 10 minutes and that their mother will not meaning no one in the family will be at the funeral. The brothers, in a hectic daze, try to take the car by pushing it out into the street, which nearly causes an accident. Finally, realizing the car won't start, they load back up into the limo and head to the funeral. Francis decides to not tell his brothers about their mother. Francis puts his arm around Jack. The scene transitions back to the present-day funeral in India with the brothers in the same pose. Everyone in attendance is in all white. The funeral pyre is set. The next day, the brothers silently load onto the bus. Yeah,
0: that was a good transition.
1: It's from, good. Uh, that, yeah.
0: the past to present, because... Uh, their brothers are literally in the exact same pose from past to present.
1: I love it. The whole the whole visual um, segue of it is, is really, it was really well done.
0: The brothers go through extremely laxed airport security, which I don't know. It was like literally the most laxed airport security I've ever seen. Each brother makes separate phone calls. Francis tries to rehire Brandon. Jack calls his ex. And Peter calls Alice. Brenda did say no, like he's not coming back. Mm -hmm. The ex will meet Jack in Italy, and Alice had no idea Peter was in India. (laughs) Francis returns the belt to Peter. They go into the bathroom for a shave. In this moment, Francis decides to cut off the bandages from his face, after which he whispers, I guess I still have more healing to do. Which, no shit. Scars all over his face. You're literally wearing literally every bandage they walk toward the airplane somehow Francis has new bandages which made no sense to me the conversation is not heard over the propellers of the plane but the brothers rip up their tickets and leave the tarmac the brothers are all on a motorcycle with their luggage on a car behind them they arrive at the monastery that their mother lives in Patricia Angelica Houston who for some reason is holding a Thomas Jefferson book, comes, mm-hmm. out, uh, comes outside to greet her sons. You know that Wes Anderson is that kind of director where everything has meaning. So I just, there had to be meaning to her holding a Thomas Jefferson book.
1: I imagine there's a lot more backstory to all these characters that is trimmed from the film. I mean, yeah. we don't see we it's but Angelica Houston isn't even revealed until this moment, correct? You or is hear it the her first...
0: voice uh when the boys are reading the letter she wrote them? right, but this is the first time we actually see her
1: right so I don't know if it's I imagine like someone like Tarantino or Scorsese or whoever like sprinkle so much detail into their frames um I imagine had a lot of backstory.
0: Well, that's why uh, I'm saying I feel like Wes Anderson is up to that caliber. So the Thomas Jefferson book was just curious to me. Yeah, maybe he was saying something about her, her status amongst the children she's teaching. Maybe it was about because it can't be about religion. Thomas Jefferson was not a religious person. He, in fact, he is famously he famously writ uh, wrote rewrote the Bible, getting rid of the word God. Like, mm-hmm. so he um I, I don't
1: know he wrote the um what is it Um oh, we hold these truths or whatever so that all the men declaration are of
0: independence
1: yeah. that line yeah no i understand but that that's the that whole i i don't know if it's that whole concept that she's in touch with because like you say it would make more sense if she was reading something more religious something whatever like what or you know if it was something that would make sense to the vibe of this movie's cultural spiritual significance yeah um I, I, so it's kind of strange i don't i don't know It. it is de- it definitely stands out as you as you think but um i don't know i don't know uh, the mystery
0: patricia asks what happened to francis's face it uh patricia asks what happened to francis's face it is here we learn he crashed his motorcycle on purpose it is also learned that he, there really is a tiger on the loose which is pretty funny. The brothers attend their mother's church service. Everyone is in bed. Patricia does exactly what Francis does and takes everyone's breakfast order without anyone responding. Which, you know, it's always it's interesting when you get to Patricia because you see just how much like her Francis is in yeah. every respect. He takes people's orders without really even... Asking, you know, he asks, but he knows. He goes down the list. He's like, "All right, let's make an agreement," because we're about to get to a part where Patricia does that, Mm -hmm. you know. So I understand why Peter, in the beginning, called Francis out on, like, "Don't order for me," because it feels
1: too much like their mother. It feels too much like what they're familiar with.
0: And it's clear that they have mother abandonment issues, Mm -hmm. and it's only going to get worse later on. Yeah. There's an awkwardness to, in the room. Patricia trying to project that the idea everything is fine tries to leave the room, but her son stop her. I felt like what Patricia was doing in this moment was like, I'm not saying it was right. I'm just saying it was very human where, you know, sometimes you're with people and you don't want to say, you don't want to talk about the elephant in the room, like at all. So you try and make small talk or bullshit conversation. Sure like you're just trying to be as upbeat and pleasant as you possibly can because you don't want to talk about the bad shit that went down.
1: Um, That's
0: very human, especially amongst family. Like when you're with family, you want to just like be happy. You don't want to sit there and t- unload about their father's funeral. You don't want to talk about why didn't you come?
1: It's um I'll save some of this for the final thoughts, but it's similar to like like my own mother's like anytime a serious situation comes up, she can sit and talk about it, but it's like if it's something that's too emotionally upsetting for her, she'll like quickly change the topic. She'll be like, oh yeah, no, no, it's all good. Yada, yada, yada. And we'll move on to the next topic. So it's almost, I feel like it's a very, not necessarily a motherly instinct. Maybe it is, but it's the sense of trying to maintain this illusion that like, oh, everything's okay. Like we don't need to dwell on this. Right well, that's
0: now. what I'm saying. It's very human. It it's, is
1: very human. That's a great way of putting it.
0: Uh, they confront her about the funeral. Patricia says that she did not want to go. Trying to avoid conversation or simply knowing words are useless, Patricia sits her sons down. Maybe we could express ourselves more fully if we say it without words. Everyone looks into each other's eyes as a montage begins to play. Going down the train car, Rita is seen smoking and going to bed. The chief steward is putting the snake in the cage. The boys, who were saved, light a vigil for their brother. Alice is laying in bed, surrounded by pots. Brandon is on an airplane. The ex is drinking a Bloody Mary. The businessman made his train. And the tiger growls. There's so much in that like little montage
1: too. I love it. It's so good. You just see a little bit of everybody.
0: What I love about it is it's a montage, but it's literally on a train. Mm-hmm. Like They're on train cars, and you're literally going down the train line
1: it's very it's very this is that's this because it's the scene it's the only scene i think you've seen that oh no you see natalie portman in,
0: no uh, this is the only scene in this movie you see her
1: i thought there's one flashback where we see them on the balcony um i don't
0: remember it, that uh, but it's possible because
1: i remember watching this for the first time and not even knowing natalie portman was in it and all of a sudden it pans to her and she's drinking a bloody mary and i'm like oh snap it's natalie portman that just keeps moving and i just yeah, think so there's, what I'm something, saying. there's something very special about that you know
0: yeah and also the snake is still alive which is hilarious
1: i love it there's like almost like this it's almost like there's this moment of peace you know just like in this moment in this story of chaos and these brothers trying to resolve their conflict there's this one moment where everything else is in order you know
0: yeah patricia then says all right let's make an agreement a we'll get an early start tomorrow morning and try to enjoy each other's company here in this beautiful place B. We'll stop feeling sorry for ourselves. It's not very attractive. C. We'll make our
1: plans for the future. Can we agree to that? And now the uh, planning comes full circle. (laughs) The next morning, the brothers awake to find that their mother is gone. She did leave them breakfast, though. They decide not to wallow in self-pity. Instead, they go for a hike up a mountain. Once atop, they complete the peacock feather ceremony the right way blowing on the feather and placing it under a small pile of zen rocks. The brothers then load into a car where Jack reads the end of his story. He has the ending, but not the beginning. The car drops them off at a train station. However, the train is already leaving. They drop all their luggage and narrowly make it aboard. Much as the film began, the train tickets are checked and sweet lime is distributed. Francis first to give Jack and Peter back their passports, but at peace, They tell Francis to hold onto them for now. Francis then says, let's get a drink and smoke a cigarette. The end. That is really something.
0: It is something. Do you want to give your final thoughts or should I?
1: Uh, You can start off.
0: Uh, The word we just used about five seconds ago is probably the word I'm going to use a lot during this. uh, My final thoughts. Like I said before, this was my first time watching this movie and I was and like I said as well it kind of felt like insomnia uh Christopher Nolan's insomnia where it's a really great movie that no one seems to talk about absolutely and like I just said the word we talked about five seconds ago it's I arguably Wes Anderson's most human movie maybe Royal Tenenbaums is like Well, no, I think this is his most human movie to date, because Royal Tenenbaum still has this uh, artificial veneer in front of it. You know, maybe it's because of the wealth or whatever, but this just feels true. Uh, You know, as you get older, intentionally or not, families and siblings specifically kind of deviate on their paths. It's just, uh, it's almost natural and I'm kind of in that phase sometimes with my siblings and I've been trying kind of like Francis over the past couple of years to try and, you know, bring myself back into everyone's lives and, you know, vice versa. So to me, this is just a very human and relatable story. I mean, I've never been to India. I've never taken a train in India, but somehow, the brotherly connection just hit home for me. And I think that this movie is beautiful. Like we said, so much detail went into it. The writing I think is immaculate because it, again, it's a small, intimate, contained story. So there's not much room for plot holes or fucking up in any of that regard. It's just a very tight, intimate, human story that I very much appreciated and liked more than I thought that I would so I guess it's a short final thought but those are my final thoughts
1: um yeah so um uh, like we've had in the past where you uh you I've said the words that you've were thinking it's kind of like it's I don't know that's exact that's pretty much exactly what I want to say in a sense that um like you I I connect because I have three brothers um, and we're all getting older. And like you said, it's almost natural for, uh, you know, people to just go on their own path. Um, so this movie also speaks to me in that way. Um, recently over this weekend, I actually organized a group, uh, like FaceTime between my brothers and I, just, just, just to chat, just to catch up. Because the four of us haven't been together in the same space since the last year. And it's just like, it's one of these, It's since last summer, it's been almost a year since we were all together. So I just... And thinking like, hey, let's just try and catch up. And so there's this whole element of family. Um, not just family of getting older. Um, and it's just funny that this movie is, um like you said, it's like you've never been to India neither have I, but it's like this whole idea of like almost forcing um you know, one of the brothers forcing some kind of gathering. Um and they end up having this incredibly personal bond. Um, it just speaks true because getting older is one of those things that sucks is that you connections with people. So this is a movie that represents that feeling of holding on to whatever it is, whatever bond you had when you were younger, um, especially with family. It's just, and it's hard because it's one of those things that just, it's uh, inevitable. But this is also a story about very fractured and broken people. Um so it's funny you mentioned Tenenbaums as the companion piece cuz I almost feel like that's how I feel like this is if, ten, if Tenenbaums is about a family but like you said with the finesse of like whatever Oscar filter not even Oscar's it's just No it's I said dirty. it was
0: a uh, artificial veneer. It,
1: but that's that's a great way of putting it because like Tenenbaums as serious dramatic as it gets with like um like I said with like uh with Luke Wilson, Wilson attempting his suicide like that's as serious as the mo- as the movie gets. Um, Darjeeling almost carries that kind of tone for a, a lot of this movie this is almost like the older brother of Tenenbaums in the sense of like hey here's like a taste of like serious family dynamics. we're really going to take a deep dive and we're only going to focus on three characters and as we've said in the past uh, you and I it's just focusing on on lesser characters stripping away everything except for just dialogue and just raw character development is incredible. it it goes an incredibly long way um in ways that none of wes anderson's films have ever done prior or since um which is so strange to me that this is the as you said it's the lost child it's the one that no one talks about it's the one that if you mention Wes anderson people like i love wes anderson and it's the one that no one ever talks about so it is like insomnia and then it's like i don't understand how it felt flew under the radar because it is an incredibly moving and um effective movie um it's not even just that like oh i think it's great but like it's definitely personal in ways that none of his films that we've watched so far have been and it's funny because after this it goes right back to a swing that's very similar to life aquatic antenna bombs where it's very quirky and fun not that this one isn't but like it's got the humor like we've said but um,
0: Something more real to this one.
1: Yeah, it's like you said. It's it's human. It's it's just different because because uh, Wes is a, a film. He's a filmmaker first, and he's he just wants to splatter film. I mean, even like Grand Budapest is like his, you know, one of his biggest accomplishments, and it's just it's incredible, and it and it is. There's a lot of emotion behind it, but it's like, and yet it's not as personal in the way that this is. It's just so stripped down to its bare elements. This movie which makes it one of the more unique movies he's ever made. Um, it almost feels like a love letter that he's doing to either family and um, whatever. I don't know his sibling, I don't know his life in terms of his siblings, but in terms of just family, it's commentary, his brother you know?
0: is, I think he only has the one brother, Eric Anderson, mm-hmm. and from what I gather, they have to be close. You know, Eric's artwork hangs in a lot of his movies yeah eric oh that's right we talked the, about yeah, it yeah he draws the covers for the criterion collection that's he, right that's cool he's even a voice in fantastic mr fox so
1: i um, like that a lot but what's um, interesting
0: i mean i'm sure we'll talk about it next week but in the fantastic mr fox he plays uh christopherson the mm-hmm. cousin so the cousin that uh, Ash, the child, is always jealous of.
1: Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Maybe
0: there's something there. I don't know. But he's made
1: it clear that, and he's done it since, I guess, well, no, not Bottle Rocket, because they're not, even though they're literally brothers, the characters aren't. It. But um, yeah, We talked
0: about that, how that made yeah. sense. <laughs>
1: um, and Rushmore is a little bit of a coming, like a coming of age. It's about growing up and whatnot. But really, uh, Rushmore and on, he brings family into an element that's, it feels personal. And it, that's why it's effective. It feels like he's got a lot to say about divorced parents and siblings and whatever rivalry and tension. And he just, it's, it, it's, a, it's just, it's done well. It's done. It's effective. It's, you can feel there's something else going on beneath the page, beneath the script pages. Um,
0: he's been dieseling. It's all about family. <laughs> it's all about the it's room,
1: family. <laughs> <laughs> and I've That's, never
0: seen a fast movie. So.
1: We'll cover them. We'll get there one day. No. We, don't. Um, no, no, we can't. <laughs> don't, worry. don't be. Don't be. Don't be disrespectful. It's fine. I mean, the movies themselves are disrespectful. So, um, I don't know, man. This, I think, you and I are are similar in the sense that, like, we come from family. A family with f- we come from a family. Wait Because <laughs> we have siblings, and we're older we have younger siblings like we understand getting older and like i know we're only so young or so old or whatever but like this is we're entering that phase of our lives where it's like well how do you maintain the bond that you have while still living your own busy life um and this movie's an entire commentary on that it speaks to me in ways that like i don't know if any other movies do um the line that's
0: coming to mind and sorry to cut you off i just i feel like this line would uh what's it called i didn't we didn't put it touch it on it in the synopsis but there's the moment when they're in the desert by the bonfire and jack jason schwartzman's character says to them do you think we would have been friends you know if we weren't brothers and that's that's kind of what this movie is showing you like you know can you be friends with your brother or are you just like bound to be with them because you are
1: blood related to them. Right. uh... They're all so different in their own way that you can't imagine that maybe they would have similar relationships if they had just met coincidentally. And it's just, it's just very, it's very strange because it, it, the whole concept of family and whatever that means to Wes Anderson, it's, it's, it's rung clearer in this movie more than anything else. You know, it's, yeah i don't know man it's shit deep shit all <laughs> right
0: so uh that's our final word on darjeeling deep absolutely shit.
1: deep shit my man do you uh
0: want to give your pick of the week
1: yeah 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 so um <laughs> going with a train theme i'm gonna go with the uh, planes trains and automobiles mm-hmm. i uh you know the one who's um, a very different take of a road movie but um a slapstick nevertheless um that's another one. That's it's John Hughes. It's comedy, um, but it also has these very uh, scarce moments of drama, um, uh, and really an unlikely bonding between two very different people. Um, it's mostly a hilarious movie. That scene that they famously parody on Family Guy, where they're about to die and head on coming to head on traffic, and, he turns and then it's the devil. It's the flash, and they turn into skeletons, and then he turns. John Candy turns into the devil. Like that actually, like it cracks me up every time so it's a very funny movie but then it's this whole thing of like oh it's thanksgiving home for the holidays and then like john candy does his monologue like i like me my wife likes me and like it's very dramatic again parody by family guy um but um it's just a very funny road movie with just enough touching elements to it that it's like it's heartwarming in its own way and steve martin and john candy have the book. And
0: in a way, I feel like that is John Hughes's bastard movie.
1: <laughs> it's really, and that's yeah, that's another one. You no,
0: because it doesn't hit normal John Hughes like high school angst. This is like grown people it's who grown are adult. like yeah. doing a grown adult thing, compared to the rest of John Hughes' filmography, where it's either <laughs> high school or a child who's home alone. Uh,
1: <laughs> there's no in between so all of a sudden you've got this story about two grown-ass adults who are traveling together and it's it's very funny um it's yeah it's not that it's underrated and people it's got it's got a following people love it but it is different from signature johnny and i think that's what i love about it good pick good pick yeah but let's please uh, let's unveil yours
0: my pick i'm actually gonna flip it kind of and recommend a documentary this week i'm gonna say won't You Be My Neighbor? Wow. It's as close to a hug that I want to get to in possibly the next, like, year or so. <laughs>
1: that's that's pretty deep stuff considering hugs are forbidden or well, frowned upon.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying. This is as close to a hug as I want to get for the next, like, year. Oh, man. It's just such a beautiful, beautiful documentary about a man who we need now more than ever someone yeah. who can just talk to some your soul and say you are important and you are special just the way you are that doesn't mean you're destined for great things it just means that no there is no one else like you and it's important to hear that and you know that's kind of again bit, kind of coming off of Darjeeling that's kind of what they had to come to the conclusion of they needed to realize they can be happy and they can be who they are with one another, and that's what's most important in the world, and that's what Mister Rogers tried to tell the world. So, it's just a right. beautiful, beautiful documentary that was robbed of the Oscar, robbed of a fucking nomination.
1: Screw you True. guys. Who won um, that year?
0: I don't. Uh, I don't remember. All I remember, it wasn't nominated.
1: Steven yes. you're not important, and you're not special. <laughs> Turned against me. You've turned against me. I um, I,
0: the movie actually got me to read a whole book on Mr. Rogers. That's how good um, it was.
1: It's, uh, it's really, uh, it's very interesting that as the world becomes more cynical and more sarcastic and more negative that we have really, these last years really, really have drawn our attention to uh, Mr. Rogers.
0: Um, I didn't care for the Tom Hanks movie.
1: I didn't see it. I heard it's good. I just didn't want to watch it. I just didn't. I didn't buy that Tom Hanks was Mister Rogers. I'm sure, they're actually related.
0: That's not yeah. a joke. Like, oh, I
1: can't. I can't tell with you. No, they're like
0: literally. I, I forget what the relation is. It's like third cousin or something. But they are technically related.
1: Uh, that doesn't surprise me. So that's why Tom Hanks is so nice.
0: But the movie, I again, I don't want to bet. I, I didn't hate the movie at all. at all. I just feel like the documentary covered the subject matter perfectly and I didn't necessarily need another story. And this movie with Tom Hanks was not about Mr. Rogers. It was was about about
1: the writer. writer, um, He did a column, uh, right?
0: Yeah, it was about the columnist who wrote about Mr. Rogers, not about Mr. Rogers himself. Right. And... I did not care for that character. He was just such a fucking douchebag in that movie that I was like, you don't deserve Mr. Rogers.
1: That's how you really feel.
0: Anyway, I highly Um, recommend Won't You Be My Neighbor.
1: No, it's good. It says everything you need to know about that man and his legacy.
0: And it's just a beautiful story. It reminds you that there can be faith in humanity. And in these dark times, you need to be reminded of that. So uh, I I guess that's where we will end this episode of Whose Filmography Is It Anyway? As always, you can find me on Instagram at Mr. Phil Mart.
1: As she always, you said. can find Stephen at Mr. Phil Mart until we get that goddamn Instagram page opened. Oh, it's coming. Just it's like coming. the dragons in Game of Thrones. They'll be here any minute. If they will come. I heard there are dragons in Game of Thrones. So.
0: No, it's a South Park joke where George R. R. Martin, like they go to George R. R. Martin's house and they're like, where, where are the dragons? Oh, they're coming.
1: <laughs> I clearly need to brush up on my. Uh, pop culture history but that's that's my life story
0: so we will see you all next week when we cover the fantastic mr fox
1: well good goodbye neighbor